Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. Ghosts were all around him. At least, that's what it felt like. The early morning mist was so thick that it was like paddling through a cloud, one with dark shapes that would materialize along the shore. Every now and then, the boat would hit some rogue ice still floating on the surface of Dark Trout Lake, and the scraping would send shivers through him. Or maybe it was the chill in the air. Despite being warm for this time of year, George found it hard to shake the damp that penetrated his bones. It was April in northern Ontario. While spring was technically here, It was a long way off from May flowers. He dipped his paddles in the water, one easy stroke at a time. He was in no rush. The calming sound echoed off the far shoreline somewhere in the white darkness, as if the mist were carrying it along farther than would normally be possible. Or perhaps it was the water. Either way, George could hear the response, as if some ghostly boatmen were mimicking him on the far side of the lake, matching stroke for stroke. Clunk! Another large chunk of ice hit the side of the boat and made him jump. Cursing under his breath, he wished that he was able to see what was coming, but all he had was the shoreline to guide him. Unlike a canoe, his rowboat dictated that he face the stern, so he was forced to use the black silhouettes of the trees to his left to navigate. Occasionally, he would turn his head to try and catch a glimpse of what was coming, but it was hard on his back. 
he would have to trust the shoreline. Normally this was easy to do, but paddling through a white void was anything but normal. He passed a large tree that jutted out over the water and breathed a sigh of relief. He was nearly back. He would, of course, have to do the trip again multiple times throughout the morning, but at least he wouldn't do it alone next time, and after that the sun should banish the mist. He owned a small boating operation, a few boat rentals for recreation in addition to the current service he provided. As logging worked its way up the lake, he found his clientele consisted more and more of lumberjacks, but for the most part, it was still miners. Many of them lived on the south end of the lake, closer to Dark River, and the mine was on the northwest corner, so many would opt to pay for the shuttle there and back each day so that they could spend the little time they had with their families, if they could afford it, that is. George had nearly become a miner himself, but as luck would have it, he found the opportunity to start his own business in the nick of time. He had visited the mine one day with the intent on getting himself a job, for, after all, he had a wife and, hopefully, little ones that would be joining them in the not-too-distant future, so he needed to find an income as soon as possible. He had arranged for a carriage ride from one of his neighbors to and from the mine on that fateful day. He figured that once he got the job, he would worry about how he was going to get back and forth. On their way to Dark Trout Mine, however, he found himself looking out the side of the carriage to the right and following the lake the entire way. Wouldn't it be easier, he thought, if we were traveling by water? And that was it. By the time he reached the mine, he had already decided that going underground was not the job for him. He had an old rowboat that his father had left him, and he would often take it out on the water for some time alone. It was soothing, and he found himself daydreaming about spending all of his time out there. Now, it seemed, his dream had come true. Well, some form of it, at least. As soon as he got home from his visit to the mine, he immediately pulled out the rowboat and began his first round trip up to the top of the lake. It took him 45 minutes one way, which wasn't bad considering that it was windy. If he stuck close to shore and set out in the early morning when the water was typically calm, he should be able to do at least three trips at the start of the day and three trips coming home. With each trip accommodating up to three people, he could make it work. And it didn't take long for word to spread around the area about his little operation. Before too long, he was taking up to eight men back and forth each day. It also gave him a sense of pride knowing that he was contributing to giving them more time at home with their families. Knowing that he would have company with him in the boat shortly, he savored his easy paddle to the south end of the lake to pick up whoever was waiting for him at the dock. Crack! He snapped his head to look behind him, thinking that he'd hit a tree, but he hadn't felt anything connect with the boat. His next thought was that a bear or a moose had come to the water's edge and that he'd startled it, 
but looking around, he couldn't make out any large shapes among the trees. Except that wasn't quite true. There was a faint black patch in the haze. Something was definitely there, and it was watching him. He turned back to face the stern, hoping that whatever it was hadn't seen him clock it. But a shiver rippled up his body and intensified with each paddle. A few more strokes, and he would be right next to it. Slowly, he shifted his gaze to the left as the tree line slid by. He could see plenty of dark shapes, bushes and tangled foliage, but nothing that resembled a figure. A loon called out across the lake. Strange, they weren't usually back so early in the season. He felt the ripple course through his body again, and remembered a story that his mother had told him when he was a young boy about how the call of a loon was believed to be a signal from the dead trying to communicate with the living. He shook his head and paddled on. Soon he would be at the south end of the lake where there would be miners waiting for him. Soon he would have company, and he was looking forward to it. The fog was still thick when he spotted his first passenger waving to him. He was standing on the edge of the lake, just shy of where George expected the dock to materialize out of the gloom. He debated carrying on past the man. After all, there would be others waiting at the dock. But something about the man's appearance gripped him. The man was clearly a miner, for he had the loose clothing and soft hat with a candle affixed to it tucked under his arm. He was also covered in soot and... something else. George couldn't quite make out what it was, but it reflected the water off of it, like a faint glow. The man seemed... slick, for lack of a better word, as if he had been dipped in tar. But he was waving as most of them did, so George thought nothing of it. He pulled hard on his right oar and felt the bow connect with sand. Then all was silent. For a moment he thought that he might have envisioned the whole thing, until the figure stepped into the stern of his rowboat. Heading for Dark Trout Mine? George asked. The figure slowly nodded. Well, sit tight. We just have to grab some more folks from town. The man shook his head, but didn't say anything. George scratched his nose. They're regulars, he said. I couldn't soon as leave them there as leave them in the middle of the lake. Again, the man shook his head and pointed over his shoulder behind him. Look, said George, we're nearly at the dock. It won't take but a few minutes and then we'll... His voice trailed off as he saw what the man was holding up in front of him. The morning light glinted off it, sending a flash across the water. The gold piece shone bright in the mist. Before George could stop himself, he was asking the man where he'd gotten it. Again, the man gestured behind him, then stretched out his hand to offer the gold piece to George. This was just too strange for words, and George had none. 
Who would offer something so valuable for a mere boat ride? Listen, said George, I can't accept that. You keep it and we'll get you there as soon as we can. He maneuvered the boat around and started paddling back up the lake. Truth be told, he was as eager to be free of this strange man as he was to pick up the usual customers. He couldn't leave them at the dock, for word of mouth was what had gotten him his business, and word of mouth was what could take it away. He would just have to come back for them as soon as he was able. Although it was difficult to see the man's facial expressions through the mist, George thought he saw a slight smile curl up the side of his mouth. And then he realized something else in that moment. The man was wet. Although he didn't appear to be shivering, his clothes were clearly soaked through. Where had he been? The loon call came again. Something scratched along the bottom of the boat towards George, and he jumped as something hit his boot. He looked down and saw the gold piece glinting back at him. As tempted as he was, he didn't dare reach down and pick it up. Something was unnerving about it, and he felt a sudden wave of dread wash over him at the prospect of what would happen if he did accept it. He could feel the eyes of the man watching him, waiting to see what he would do. Avoiding eye contact, he paddled on. Paddled harder, in fact, for he wanted nothing more than to reach the far end of the lake and deposit his silent cargo as quickly as possible. Sure, there had been passengers before that didn't have much to say, that simply wanted the transportation without conversation. But this was different. George had never had someone just sit there and watch him. He half wondered if he had picked up some form of psychopath, and before he could stop himself, his mind flew ahead to the unlikely scenario of the town officials trying to dredge the lake in search of his body. Unlikely, but not entirely impossible. He glanced down to his feet and saw the gold piece lying there, just waiting for him. It could wait a bit longer. They were past the halfway mark, and were approaching the north end of the... Thud. The boat rocked violently as the tree scraped along the side, and George instinctively pulled hard with his right hand to steer the boat farther away from shore. He cursed under his breath. That same tree again. He passed it multiple times daily. How had he forgotten to watch for it? He watched as it cleared the stern of the boat and saw it drift off and slowly disappear into the mist. Then, his vision adjusted to focus back on the empty far end of the boat. He blinked. The empty seat taunted him. The man was no longer sitting there. Before he even had time to consider his options, he was on his feet in the rowboat and diving into the lake back the way they'd come. He hadn't seen any indication of where the man might have fallen in. No splashing, no shape gasping for breath, not even so much as a ripple, but there was nowhere else he could have gone. The water hit George with a hard slap as he plunged into the black. He came up almost immediately, gasping from the shock of the cold. Frantically, he looked around while treading water. 
still no sign of the man. He could see his boat slowly drifting away from shore, and he knew that he didn't have much time. Back under he went, forcing his eyes open in the blind hope that he would spot the drowning man. His limbs convulsed in a violent shiver. He would have to return to the boat soon, or he risked not making it back. Even as it was, he would have to find some way to get warm as soon as he touched dry land, for hypothermia could quickly set in. These thoughts flashed through his mind briefly, but were swept away as he swam vigorously through the murk. He didn't dare look down, for below him lay a chasm of black. Dark Trout Lake was deep, as it got its name from the most plentiful kind of fish in it. And although it was a crazy thought, he was suddenly struck by the fear that something down there was waiting for him. He kicked his legs hard to propel him forwards, and that's when the face appeared. It was bloated, with blotches of purplish-black spots all over it, as if a wet rust were slowly eating the features. The skin was tattered and waving in the water like seaweed. The eyes were closed, the mouth was open. Patches of hair clung to the sides of the scalp, which was almost bald down to the bone. The rest of the body floated into view, wearing the same coat as it was not five minutes before in the boat, and the candle was still affixed to the soft hat atop its head. Then the candle burst into a deep blue flame, and the eyelids parted, and George screamed a stream of bubbles. The eyes were white and milky, devoid of any features, yet they were looking directly at him. The torn lips peeled back to reveal impossibly long white teeth, and the leering grin shone through the black as George saw one bony hand reach for him, glowing in the dead blue light. He shattered the surface of the water, gasping for air. He tore through the water, fighting to get away from what lurked below. Where was the boat? For a moment, terror overcame him as he couldn't... Wait! There it was! It had drifted farther off, and a tree had snagged it, that same tree that had nearly capsized him. He swam for it with all his might, thrashing the water around him to shreds, his breath heaving in his chest, his eyes wide, his mouth pulling in low moans of breath, his heart pumping, his thoughts racing, his life draining away with the cold as the mist enveloped him. His limbs slowed as fatigue and chill overcame him, and he gave one last kick before slipping below the surface of the water. The early morning sunlight broke through the mist and speckled across his vision as he looked upward for the last time. How beautiful it was. Then all went black. Something hard was digging into his back, and feeling was returning to his limbs. Slowly, impossibly, he came to. 
shapes faded into his vision. The mist had cleared, and he could see a blue sky above him, with one or two stars remaining. The moon hung in a faint shadow staring down on him. Slowly, he sat up. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll return to Dark Trout Lake. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and take a tour through our website darkriver.ca But now, let's return to the lake. The moon hung in a faint shadow staring down on George. Slowly, he sat up. He was back in his boat. It had drifted into shore and was nestled among a few trees. His whole body ached, and as he shifted to sit up, Water ran out the back of his shirt and splashed lightly on the inside of the boat. He was soaked, yet, oddly, he didn't feel cold. His arms and legs were fine, as if he had enjoyed a light summer swim rather than an icy April plunge. His hand brushed against something behind him before curling around it. He opened his palm, and the icy chill returned. The gold piece shone out in the palm of his hand, glinting in the morning light. By the time he made it to the dock, it was deserted. Evidently, the men had found an alternative way to get to work this morning when he didn't show. He was just about to turn his boat around and head for home when he noticed one man sitting on the edge of the dock. He was a regular, and George waved to him. The man waved back before getting in, and they set off towards the north end of the lake together. "'Took an early morning dip, did you?' the man asked. George snorted a short laugh, but didn't say anything. The man's complexion darkened in the silence. "'Did you hear?' "'Hear what?' George asked. "'About what happened a few days ago. The accident.' The man went on to tell him how there had been a massive collapse underground at the mine, and the lake had flooded the tunnels. Many men died, he said. A few I knew well. Come to think of it, George had noticed that there weren't as many men waiting for him at the dock over the last few days. He was just about to say as much when the man spoke again. Strangest thing about it, though, they say that one man, One of the prospectors running the whole operation disappeared the following night. Though they couldn't confirm what happened, some say he ran off, though I've heard whispers from others that they found his footprints leading down to the water, and then right into it. Suicide? Maybe. Terrible way to go, drowning. But, he said, his brow furrowing, And this is the part I can't make heads or tails of. 
They say that there were other footprints accompanying his in the sand. Hundreds of them. As if he had a crowd sending him off, though every man was accounted for that night after the accident, and none of them went anywhere near the water. None of the living, at least. They passed the rest of the trip in silence, and the man gave George his payment before departing towards the mine. George pulled his boat back out into the water. He was eager to get home. He pocketed the money and felt something there. He pulled out the gold piece and stared at it. It stared back at him. Before he could change his mind, he turned and hurled it out into the middle of the lake. It arced through the air, catching the light in a brilliant flash before plopping below the surface and disappearing into the depths. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Pasitka. I also produced the show, as well as composed the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Pasitka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.